my friend's Lent has a very purposeful pattern to it. Every year, we know our Lenten journeys begin on Ash Wednesday with the same message. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, inviting us to root out any hypocrisy, perhaps, that we have in our lives. Jesus calling us to repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus calling us to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and not for the approval of others, but for the glory of God. And we line up every year to get our ashen crosses, these outward symbols, if you will, that we know that we are sinners, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that we have fallen in love, fallen in love with our God, our Savior, who has won our salvation on the cross. Every year, the first Sunday of Lent, last Sunday, we meditate on Jesus' temptation in the desert. And every year, this Sunday, the second Sunday of Lent, we meditate on his transfiguration. Last week, Jesus was driven. He was driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And we were invited to allow the Holy Spirit to drive us to drive us into our desert, to drive us into the desert of our Lenten journeys. This week, Jesus leads Peter, James, and John up a high mountain, and we are being invited into that same high mountaintop experience. Last week, Jesus was tested by the devil, tempted to reject the way of suffering and the cross. We too were invited to reject all temptations, the temptations, the many temptations we get to not pick up our cross. This week, God puts Abraham to the test, and he puts us to the test. Again, in recognition that as St. Augustine says, no one knows himself, no one knows herself, except through trial. Last week, we focused on Jesus and his humanity, that God did take on our human nature, Jesus was hungry, hungry after fasting for 40 days. This week we focus on his divinity, that Jesus is God made man. Jesus is transfigured. His glory, his divinity leaks through, if you will, uh, the human nature he took on. His glory is partially shown, is partially unveiled. So amazing to really contemplate what this incredible scene must have looked like. Peter hardly knew what to say. They were so frightened. Last week we were reminded that we are prone to temptation and often we fall into sin. We needed no reminder. This week we are reminded of God's mercy, that he desires to place his heart in the center of our misery, and that we ought to have humble confidence in him that we ought to trust in him. This is the common theme, really, that echoes throughout today's readings, this transfiguration in today's gospel. Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was journeying to Jerusalem to endure his passion and death for you and me. He was in the last weeks of his earthly life, and his bloody death would be a cause for scandal. Pope St. Leo the Great in today's Liturgy of the Hours says that the great reason for this transfiguration was to remove the scandal of the cross from the hearts of his disciples.
Jesus gives his closest collaborators, he gives both all of us here a glimpse of his glory to strengthen them, to strengthen us as he would endure his cross, to give them, to give us confidence. Holy Mother Church calls us today, calls us always really to have confidence in our Heavenly Father. But it seems to also recognize what is possible in the human person through faith. Contemplate what happened here in today's first reading from the book of Genesis in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Recall the story of Abraham called at an old age, 75, called by the Lord to go. Where? Well, I will give you the details later. Go, I will show you the way. God entered into a covenant with Abraham. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. All the families of the earth will find blessing in you. And he waited. Abraham waited. He had to wait 11 years for a son. And this son, through Hagar, he gets Ishmael, a non-Jew, an Egyptian, uh, not uh, the heir that he was anticipating. He had to wait ultimately 25 years until he was age 100 before he had his heir in his son Isaac. And then so interestingly, so surprisingly, he was asked to sacrifice the son he'd waited 25 years to receive, thought to be barren his wife, but miraculously given the son, and not uh, to sacrifice him right away, but after many years, really, Isaac is the one that carried the wood of the sacrifice uh, along the way. He had to be strong enough to be able to carry this wood. The Lord said, take your son Isaac, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust in a height that I will point out to you. Imagine this scene. Imagine what must have been going through, racing through uh, Abraham's heart and mind. Such trust, such faith. Okay, for 25 years you've been telling me that I would be the father of a great nation, and now my heir, my only heir, you're asking me to sacrifice him. I have no idea, Lord, how you're planning to bring about this, but I do trust in you. I have faith in you. Perhaps you're planning to just raise Isaac from the dead. I go in faith. And he goes there to uh, do what the Lord has called of him. And Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy. I know now how devoted you are to God, since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. He imaged the Father so beautifully as the Heavenly Father sends his only begotten son to be sacrificed. Abraham, our father in faith, had confidence in God. He was rewarded. But so too Isaac. Isaac is a type of Christ. Isaac was not a child. He could have fought back. His father, after all, well over 100 years old at this point. Isaac allowed himself to be bound, willingly. He trusted his father. Their wills were united. So too, St. Paul, we see in the second reading from Romans. Such men of faith, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us, my friends? Such humble confidence. We must trust in God's grace and his merciful love. God had a plan for Abraham, 
a plan that would bring about a blessing to the whole world, God also has a plan for each of us. And like Abraham, God's plan has life-changing, family-changing, perhaps even worldly-changing consequences, for we are called. But perhaps like Abraham, God is not giving us a lot of details. He tells us to go and to trust. We can make sure that his plan, though, will bring about the peace, the joy, and ultimately the fulfillment as human persons that we all desire. We simply have to go up the high mountain, get quiet, and listen to him. My friend, salvation is a process that is initiated by God a grace freely given, unmerited, of course. We are being called to cooperate with this abundant grace. But no, Jesus, note that Jesus told Peter, James, and John not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So often the Lord tells people after he does something truly miraculous in their presence, perhaps giving them a healing of sorts, uh, not to tell anyone. This is the only time I can recall uh, where they actually listened to him, and they didn't tell anyone. No doubt the Lord is telling them to let's keep this quiet for now because he had not yet uh, shown them everything. He had more to say. He had to demonstrate first what true love looks like. True love is sacrificial. Jesus had to endure his cross. But also, it seems, from my own personal prayer throughout this week, uh, he uh, told them to be quiet because no one can have the high mountain experience themselves. I mean, nobody can experience this high top mountain experience for us. Sure, we have the great saints, Mary and Joseph among them, of course. We have a saintly pastor and Father Kleiman, and there are many saintly people in our pews but they cannot have the desert and high mountain experiences for us. We ourselves must allow the Holy Spirit to drive us into the desert. We must go up the high mountain ourselves. We must struggle through the difficulties of this climb, persevere in our search for truth, beauty, and goodness. Then, and only then, will we experience these transfigurational moments in which God reveals himself to us more perfectly and reveals ourselves to us more accurately. God is calling us to be generous, calling us like our father in faith in Abraham and in Isaac. His plan requires that we trust him, that we have humble confidence in him. My friends, we are on a Lenten journey. We are in this together. And this is, in part, what our Lenten journeys are really all about. Humble confidence in God and his grace. Our Lenten goal is the resurrection. Our Lenten goal is our own transfiguration. Ultimately, our Lenten goal is heaven, true union with God and eternal life. I pray your Lenten journeys are going well. If they are not, or if you have not yet even begun to think about a plan for your Lent, today is a new day. This is a new week, a new day, a new week to confidently trust in the Lord and to make a plan, and if necessary, to get back up and follow the Lord up the mountain, to allow him to lead us up that high mountain. Embrace the pattern, my friends, of this Lenten season. Embrace its order 
And may God be praised. Amen. Amen.